coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. Yeah, so there's two things to unpack there is, is like what, what defines infrastructure and then how to actually use some of the infrastructure because it is some people, like most businesses have nothing, no type of infrastructure, no reporting, no data, no nothing. And the, the downside of infrastructure is you typically have to step into the room of infrastructure and it's going to be totally empty. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you have to build the walls. And when you walk in, it's like, it's just me in here. Like this, it feels weird. Um, and caveat to this is you got to be, make sure you have enough revenue before you do any like infrastructure. Like for me in online coaching, consulting businesses, if you're not 50, 60 K a month, infrastructure doesn't matter. Like just go sell some more stuff, <laughs> like mm-hmm. simple. So, but when I'm looking at infrastructure, I'm looking at things that I can leverage. So infrastructure can be kind of, uh, alternating with the word leverage. So like, like I can leverage people's time, right? I can trade money for people's time. I can leverage systems. Like HubSpot is a real big system that we leverage. Um, I can leverage uh, uh, money to be able to go out and be able to create something. So realistically, at the beginning stages, you have time and software. And so like Google, Google Sheets, that's a big piece of infrastructure for new businesses. Mm-hmm. But you have to be able to read them and it not be so overwhelming with all of the stuff. And so... Um, the way I break down businesses is you have like lead generation, lead nurture sales, first three things before somebody becomes a client. Do you have the numbers to your, your lead generation? If not, you need somewhere to capture those. Maybe you need someone to capture those infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the lead nurture. Do you have somebody nurturing your leads? No, that's infrastructure. Do they know how to nurture the leads? Nope. Creating that infrastructure sales. Are you doing all the sales yourself? Do you have a script? Do you have recordings? Infrastructure, right? Do you have places for them to report on their daily metrics? Infrastructure. Um, And so it's not this big, giant, grandiose thing, but it's the pieces in the business that allow you to actually run. So that's the first place, like what is infrastructure? Um, The second though, is like figuring out who to hire and when. And this is probably the biggest struggle that I've found with new brand new entrepreneurs. Um, More often than not, what I've seen happen is entrepreneurs will kind of ramp up and they, they take on all this work, they take on this work, and they hit this point where they start making money, but they continue to work. And um, what'll happen is they continue to work, but then eventually it flatlines and they either burn out or they just stop growing. Um, so it kind of takes us into a chicken and the egg conversation. Like I don't have the money to hire, but I need to hire. Well, the one thing that I've, I've done to kind of solve that for people is have you ever heard of a time study? Sure. Yeah. So, so what we do is we do a time study. We break the day down in 30 minute increments. Um, and we actually use this cool tool called Timular to do it. Oh, so it's a little cool. widget you leave on your desk. And as you begin to switch context, you just move over to the next platform and it tracks it all for you behind the scenes. Um, but if you're not using that, you could simply use just this, um, like a simple notepad and just break your day down in 30 minute increments, nine to five or whatever your working hours are every 30 minutes you put on that list, what you've done. Now, this is just the first step. It is the most annoying step because you got to go back every 30 minutes, but it is the first step. Then what we do is we want to identify what are the five things that only Matt could do in the business? Not the five things that Matt can do, but only the things that Matt could do. Once you've identified those things, we're going to go through and we're going to highlight everything on that time study that does not fall within those big five things. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. 
On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. My name is Kyle Livingston, and I am an operations consultant for online coaches, consultants, and infopreneurs. Our dinner table, it was a, I'm going to go a little bit of detail. So we had this like hallway type of kitchen. And it was a round table that uh, my mom bought at a yard sale so she could store pots and pans underneath of it, had like a cabinet underneath of it. Um, but it was mainly like meat and potatoes uh, or something cheap, typically. Um, we had this, uh, this dish, it was like ground beef and rice and gravy uh, that my mm -hmm. mom, I don't know if I can say this on your channel, but mom called it shit on a shingle. Yeah. Uh, that's what it was <laughs> on for the dinner. And um whatever we had in the cabinets, man. Um, and then occasionally my dad would, uh, he used to commute pretty far back and forth to work. And occasionally he'd surprise us with like Jack in the box or something on the way home, you know, cause you can get two tacos for a dollar. And, uh, that was the treat of the month sometimes was, was Jack in the box typically. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, growing up, do you ever remember any type of entrepreneurial influences or anything like that? Did you, you know, do you, were you exposed to that lifestyle or that thought process, or is this something that you just kind of adopted, you know, later on in life? Well, I adopted it on pretty early on in life. Um, and I think that from an influence perspective, I mean, my dad in, definitely influenced like my work ethic. I mean, he worked like a freaking tank, man, hundred hours a week. Like he just worked and worked and worked. Um, my entrepreneurial kind of influence really started when I wanted to go to a church camp one summer and I was uh, 12 or 13 years old. And, um, you know, we grew up fairly um, below the poverty line. And um, we, we couldn't afford the church camp. You know, it was a few hundred bucks, couldn't afford the church camp. My mom's like, hey, if you want to go, like, you're going to have to raise your own money. And um, so my dad, uh, he mowed this lawn for one of our neighbors down the street. It was an older gentleman who just couldn't mow his lawn anymore. My dad would go down there to mow his lawn. And so um, my dad told me, he's like, well, why don't you mow his lawn? He'll pay you five bucks, you know, to mow his lawn. I was like, okay, great. So I go mow his lawn and I mowed his lawn for a couple of weeks. And I'm like, all right, this isn't going to get me to make enough for church camp, right? And so uh, I start knocking on people's doors as I'm cruising through the neighborhood. You know, I'm, I'm walking down to Andy's house to mow his lawn and I start knocking on people's doors like, hey, I'm mowing Andy's lawn uh, for five bucks. Can I mow yours too? Five bucks front, five bucks to the back. And so I started doing that and then, uh, you know, found out, okay, I can make enough to go to church camp. And when I came back from church camp, I was like, hey, I want some new shoes. Yeah. How do I get new shoes? And so I learned early on um, that that uh, style of being able to just go out and find my own money was going to benefit me a lot more than you know, going and working for someone. And what really drove it home for me was, so my dad was a machinist and he would, uh, we lived out in this suburb of Riverside County in Southern California. And um, you don't go to this town to get to anywhere other than this town. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, just not a great town to go in ever. And so my dad would have to drive about an hour and a half in the morning and um, about an hour and a half home. And he was a machinist. And so I saw that, you know, my dad was never home. He was working hard and all of these things. And I remember sitting in my bedroom on my waterbed one day, and I'm counting my money that I'd made from that weekend. And my mom walks in, she goes, oh, it's nice. Like, how long have you been saving all of this? I was like, oh, I just, this is just what I made from Friday, Friday and Saturday. And she, her jaw like drops to the ground and she goes, that's more money than dad made this weekend. And I knew kind of right then and there, I was probably 
14, 15 years old. I knew right then and there, like, man, this path isn't going to do it for me. So I got to figure out what this other one is. And that was kind of my introduction to entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and now did you go to college or did you jump right into, you know, something, you know, out of school? What was, what was kind of your next path, your next step there? So I, I jumped right into something right out of school. Um, I had entertained going to uh, UC Davis actually. And um, <clears throat> it just, I couldn't find a career anywhere that would make me the amount of money that I wanted to make. And, you know, I started, I was talking to people who had uh, similar interests that I had had. Like one of them was a diesel mechanic. So I went and had a conversation with a diesel mechanic at a local dealership. He's like, yeah, I make 65,000 a year and I have a billion dollars in snap-on tools that I pay for myself. I'm like, that's a bad deal. So I went uh, went straight into the workforce, man. Um, I had actually applied to uh, go and be a correctional officer. Um, I have a, a family member who's a correctional officer. And so I went to apply to be a correctional officer and uh, failed the test three times in a row. <laughs> so they're like, you are not the guy for this job. Uh, so I'm, I'm 18 and my brother who is, uh, he's 25 years my senior. I was adopted and he's a lot older than I am. And um, he owned a construction company. And so I started working for him um, at a high rate of hundred bucks a day. And you know we were driving, going everywhere, working in horrible conditions sometimes. And it's hot and sweaty and... Um, that's what kind of got me into the world of construction. And um, I kind of went down that path for a couple of years until I realized like, again, I'm not fit. Like I'm a terrible employee. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm officially unemployable. And so uh, after kind of rising through the ranks of this um, telecommunications construction company that I had gone to work for after working for my brother, uh, you know, I'm 20 years old, project manager, and uh, I'm being told that I can't make any more money because I'm too young basically. Wow. And um, I can give you the details of that story if it fits. And from there, I was like, all right, I, I got to go do my own thing. Like, I'm never going to accomplish the things I want to accomplish in life if I continue to rely in corporate America for my, for my dreams, right? Because at any, any given point, they could walk in and be like, you're out, you got to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from that point, you know, I'd always been somewhat of an entrepreneur from, you know, the early days of knocking on doors, right? I went from knocking on doors um, as a young kid, bought a car, uh, got into detailing cars, uh, started detailing cars while I was going through high school. And at one point in high school, I remember I was in math class and the teacher's telling me like, you know, you got to do whatever the Pythagorean theorem or whatever yeah. working on that day. And I actually had had an older buddy of mine take my detailing trailer and he's out detailing cars for me. And so I'm in math class counting how much money I'm going to make today, not caring about the Pythagorean theorem. Like this is pointless. This is not going to serve me at all. And, um, so I kind of knew early on that if I just continued on that path that I would do a lot better. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you, you had a, a failure as well, right? That was yeah, that. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about what that was and you know, what happened and then, you know, learnings that, that came out of it, you know, on the other, other side. Yeah. So the, the failure for me actually came after some pretty good successes. And so I had built a, a tower company. We were building towers and, um, I ended up selling that company for, you know, a small amount of money, but sold that company, started up another one with a partner. He was actually doing, um, he was just in, in the red every single month. He called me after I sold. He said, Hey, I'd like for you to come fix my business. And so after some negotiating and me turning him down and him coming back and being like, dude, just help me. Uh, we ended up <clears throat> turning his business around, uh, took it from bleeding 50, 60, 80 K a month to being, a, you know, about two two fifty a month in a, in a, in an upswing. And then we ended up selling that business a little later. Um, 
got into another one, built that one, got really successful in that one, sold off to a business partner in that one. And at that point I had committed like I was getting out of the industry. I wanted to focus full-time on real estate investing. That was kind of my next, my next venture. Um, it's actually my wife and I had met uh, here, but that was my next venture. That's what I'm going to go do. And uh, I'm going to get into real estate. I'm going to get out of the tower industry, out of the construction industry. I mean, you know, from uh, your background, like the people aren't the best people. The terms aren't the best terms. It's a lot of exposure. Insurance is crazy, you know, like, um, so it took a lot to run the business. So um, I'm in real estate, whole, uh, wholesaling and flipping real estate full time. And I get a call from a buddy in New Mexico um, who, had, who had given us a lot of work in the past. His name was Clay. Clay calls me. He's like, hey, man, the company you had sold uh, just went out of business and, um, you know, gave us all the POs back. And so we'd love to give you that work if you're interested. And uh, I was like, it was like three or $4 million worth of work, just over $3 million. And I was like, that sounds like a great deal. Let's, let's, let's go with it, you know? And yeah. so against my gut, which I'm learning in life, my gut is usually right. Against my gut, I go in and um, man, I thought I was on top of the world. I'd done this three times. I knew what I'm doing. The company that I sold to, I bought everything back from, by, from pennies on the dollar. And I thought I was on top of the world. And um, within two short weeks, like my life had turned from, this is going to be awesome. Let's go buy everything. Let's get set up. We took some time to prepare to mobilizing crews out to New Mexico to do all this work and realizing like very, very quickly, like this is going the wrong direction. And so <clears throat> I don't know how far I'll go into the story, but uh, one of the, within the first two weeks, I'd, you know, taken uh, seven or eight guys, maybe nine guys out to New Mexico. Some of them worked with me in the past. Some of them have never worked with me before. And, um, we're probably on day 10, 12, and we, it was cheaper to get a big house for all the guys than it was to put them all in some, uh, you know, like motel sixes and they appreciated it more than a kitchen, et cetera. And uh, I'm up in my room and all I hear this just hell breaks loose downstairs. And it's like one in the morning, two in the morning. I'm like, what's going on? So I run downstairs, you know, and um, it's just getting louder and crazier and crazier. I'm like, what is going on, man? And um, a couple of days prior to this, one of the guys that was working for me just kind of disappeared. And so I assumed like he just wasn't fit for this. He wanted to go do his own thing. No, he went on a binger oh, and geez. he had a drug addiction in the past and it, he was having some marital issues. The drug addiction came back to haunt him. And now he is completely like as high as a kite on meth, breaking back into the house and crawling over the guy in the bedroom to get to some drawer or something. And so basically it's, we're having a break in at one in the morning is what it's like. And from there, that just kind of set the tone for the rest of, my the next nine months and it was just like man everything that we did uh it just became more and more difficult for me to operate and um you know i had clients that were like hey we can't pay you for three months we had all these problems uh i had a crew of about 30 at the height and in nine months we cycled through 64 people wow wow and so we were just going through hot bodies going through warm bodies just trying to get these jobs done they weren't getting done and um, at one point, man, I had actually had a complete and like it ended up being a nervous breakdown. And I'd never experienced this before, like anxiety, whatever, panic, stress, whatever, no big deal. Well, uh, my wife and I are walking back in to the house from getting some groceries or something. And I remember like I get in the house, I'm kind of not feeling good. And the next thing I know, I just collapse. And uh, it feels like someone's sitting on my chest. My arms are tingling. I'm thinking I'm having a heart attack. I'm like, man, is this really how I'm going out? I'm 25 years old and this is how I'm going out. Like, this is yeah. horrible. Um, from that moment over the next 24 hours, I remember two things and they're about 40 second clips each. 
One was being rushed into the ambulance on the gurney. Um, and uh, I remember that like bumpy ride going to the ambulance. And then I remember waking up in the hospital with all these things on my chest because they were doing an EKG. And um, those are the only things I remember. And the doctor's like, nothing's wrong with you. You're totally fine. But what my body was telling me was like, man, you're struggling too hard right here. And you you need to slow down. You need to stop. And because you're not, we're going to stop you. Like my body was like, I'm going to stop you. Um, we kept going. I just kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing. And looking back, I can find attribution. Mm -hmm. um, but over that short nine months, we had done just shy of a $3 million run rate in the business. And I'm upside down $160,000. Yeah. Going, I can't, I can't bankroll this anymore. Like I can put in another 30K, but that's just going to give me another two weeks. Like this isn't, that's not going to do me any good. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So in short nine, after nine short months after making everything and pouring it back into this business, lost everything very, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and so obviously out of that, you know, you had a lot of learnings on, you know, what, what is going wrong, what's, what not to do. Uh, and you've, you've parlayed that into helping other businesses, you know, avoid and and come out of those types of situations so what were some of those i guess what are what are some of those common things that you see a lot of businesses you know struggling with that you uh, that are sort of low-hanging fruit that the things that you can fix pretty quickly to be able to turn things around or is, yeah. is it you know really you need to evaluate each business and each business sort of has its own thing so it's more the latter um you know it, it depends where the business is at like i have a scale of if you're doing X per month, this is probably your issue. And if it's not your issue, then you probably are doing something wrong because it should be your issue. Mm -hmm. And if you have mm -hmm. issues that are, you know, something of a business that's two, three times ahead of you, those are the same problems. You're probably unfocused and just not going the right direction. And so I kind of break everything down into now into really three different, um, three different categories. And it's like, the first thing I look at is infrastructure. Like, does the business actually have infrastructure so the owner isn't like, you know, the Atlas stone, like where he's like carrying yeah. the stuff on his back. That's how I look at most businesses. And they have no infrastructure to take that weight off their shoulders and put it onto their business. Like most business owners and their business are one and the same. And they're not like your business and yourself should be different. Like your business should have its own support system, its own infrastructure. And if it doesn't, you run into problems. So that's the first thing I look for is like, do you have the infrastructure to carry some of this weight of your business? Uh, the next thing that I kind of look for is, do you have the data? Um, one thing that I've really learned, man, is like, especially for me, like I like to make decisions based on emotion. Like if I'm emotional about something, like I'm the guy, I'm the guy that's going to buy something. I'm like, you know, so I base a lot of stuff on emotion and I realize you can't run a business that way. When I had my tower business that failed, I was basing everything on emotion. Everything was emotion. I was doing everything myself. Everything was out of frustration and anger. And like, my guys aren't getting this stuff done. Why is it taking them so long? But I didn't have any way to attribute the actual problems, like diagnose the actual problems. And so infrastructure is the first thing, data, having the right data so you can attribute like, hey, uh, maybe you have like, let's say for an online business, maybe they're having an issue like retaining clients or retaining customers. And people think, well, it's, uh, you know, maybe that's because they're moving on to something else. They don't have the money. And it could be a fulfillment problem. Maybe your fulfillment isn't to the, to the standard that client expected. Maybe it's a sales problem. Maybe we're enrolling the wrong types of people into the business. They're causing problems with fulfillment. And of course, they're not upgrading. But if we don't have the data and the infrastructure to track and trace that back to find that attribution, that, that's the first, those are the first two things that I look for in any business is like, what's the infrastructure? What's the data? 
Okay. And, and when you're, when you're talking about infrastructure, um, explain what you mean there, right? So, uh, you know, is this personnel to be able to delegate things to, is this systems, I'm, I'm assuming it's probably a combination of both, but how do you, how do you, and, and I think that this is something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is, you know, they might get to a certain point where they bring on some people, but they're still going to carry everything on their back. So how can you tell whether or not that entrepreneur or that company is um, strangling itself, I guess you can say, by not bringing on additional people when they feel like they can't afford it, right? And that's like mm -hmm. a struggle that all entrepreneurs sort of go through that, you know, I want to be able to hire somebody, but I can't afford it. And, you know, like, how, how does that, how does that weigh out when you're, you know, looking and, and uh, processing the, uh, the infrastructure component there? Yeah, so there's two things to unpack there is, is like what, what defines infrastructure and then how to actually use some of the infrastructure because it is some people like most businesses have nothing, no type of infrastructure, no reporting, no data, no nothing. And the, the downside of infrastructure is you typically have to step into the room of infrastructure and it's going to be totally empty. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you have to build the walls. And when you walk in, it's like, it's just me in here. Like this, it feels weird. Um, and caveat to this is you got to be, make sure you have enough revenue before you do any like infrastructure. Like for me in online coaching, consulting businesses, if you're not 50, 60 K a month, infrastructure doesn't matter. Like just go sell some more stuff like mm -hmm. simple. So, but when I'm looking at infrastructure, I'm looking at things that I can leverage. So infrastructure can be kind of, uh, alternating with the word leverage. So look at like, I can leverage people's time, right? I can trade money for people's time. I can leverage systems like HubSpot is a real big system that we leverage. Um, I can leverage uh, uh, money to be able to go out and be able to create something. So realistically at the beginning stages, you have time and software. And so like Google, Google Sheets, that's a big piece of infrastructure for new businesses, mm -hmm. but you have to be able to read them and it not be so overwhelming with all of the stuff. And so um, the way I break down businesses is you have like lead generation, lead nurture, sales, first three things before somebody becomes a client. Do you have the numbers to your, your lead generation? If not, you need somewhere to capture those. Maybe you need someone to capture those infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the lead nurture. Do you have somebody nurturing your leads? Nope. That's infrastructure. Do they know how to nurture the leads? Nope. Creating that infrastructure sales. Are you doing all the sales yourself? Do you have a script? Do you have recordings? Infrastructure, right? Do you have places for them to report on their daily metrics? Infrastructure. Um, and so it's not this big, giant, grandiose thing, but it's the pieces in the business that allow you to actually run. So that's the first place. Like, what is infrastructure? Um, the second, though, is like figuring out who to hire and when. And this is probably the biggest struggle that I've found with new, brand new entrepreneurs. Um, more often than not, what I've seen happen is entrepreneurs will kind of ramp up and they, they take on all this work, they take on this work, and they hit this point where they start making money, but they continue to work. And um, what will happen is they continue to work, but then eventually it flatlines and they either burn out or they just stop growing. Um, so it kind of takes us into a chicken and the egg conversation. Like I don't have the money to hire, but I need to hire. Well, the one thing that I've, I've done to kind of solve that for people is, have you ever heard of a time study? Sure. Yeah. So, so what we do is we do a time study. We break the day down in 30 minute increments. Um, and we actually use this cool tool called Timular to do it. 
Oh, so it's a little cool. widget you leave on your desk. And as you begin to switch context, you just move over to the next platform and it tracks it all for you behind the scenes. Um, but if you're not using that, you could simply use just this, um, like a simple notepad and just break your day down in 30 minute increments, nine to five or whatever your working hours are. And every 30 minutes you put on that list, what you've done. Now, this is just the first step. It is the most annoying step because you got to go back every 30 minutes, but it is the first step. Then what we do is we want to identify what are the five things that only Matt could do in the business? Not the five things that Matt can do, but only the things that Matt could do. Once you've identified those things, we're going to go through and we're going to highlight everything on that time study that does not fall within those big five things. And those are all things that you could begin delegating. Now, if your money is tight, you can go through and start assigning dollar signs to each one of those highlighted lines and say, well, I could get someone to do this task, let's say in the Philippines for $1 sign. But to get somebody to do coaching and be a coach in my business, that's like four or $5 signs. So I'm going to maintain control of the really expensive things. And I'm going to delegate the things that I could get somebody to do for three, four, $5 an hour, $10 mm -hmm. an hour, $15 an hour. And so that's how I start to do it. And if I'm in a place where I can't afford to do that, I'm going to do one of two things. I'm going to sell some more stuff or I'm going to leverage credit. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a big fan of using other people's money, especially to leverage labor because then it kind of takes all the risk off of you. And worst case scenario, you go down the road and it doesn't work and you have to restart. Yep. Not, no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes sense. So do you, do you have a, a, a metric that uh, you can use to identify the pricing model and whether or not like, you know, that's, that's the other thing, like sell more stuff, right? Well, what if, what if your margins aren't high enough and you should be charging more? Um, but you know, maybe you feel like I can't charge anymore. Right. And you know, mm. you, you're not, you, you feel like your product isn't, isn't worth as much as what, you know, you should be charging for it. Any, any thoughts on, you know, how to weigh that and how to, um, you know, evaluate that and quantify how, how much can you actually charge? Like, how do you push that envelope without, you know, breaking the business, but, you know, making sure that you are making what you should be making on every sale or every project or whatever it is. So something to keep in mind as we go through the rest of this conversation is Coca-Cola, right? One of the bigger brands in the US, probably in the world, actually. Like mm -hmm. I think at one point they wanted to put a billboard on the moon or something crazy. Coca-Cola, their goal is to get as close to a hundred percent profit margin as humanly possible. And where I think a lot of people struggle is it's that six inches between the ears of like, I can't actually charge more. But when you look at it from a perspective of what if I did charge more versus I can't charge more, like what, what if I did charge more? Can I give them a better customer experience? Can I provide them a better welcome package? Can I get them a result better? Because at the end of the day, people invest in results. They don't invest in your time. Like they might think you and I are both very handsome men that are awesome, but they're not going to pay us for that. Mm -hmm. They might think that we have a great personality. They're not going to pay us for that. People are going to invest to work with us because of the results that we get. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've connected with hundreds of extremely successful entrepreneurs. We've interviewed multimillionaires, a few billionaires, top marketers, technologists, brokers, and so, so many more. Many of our guests have even landed on the Fortune 5000 or even the 500 list on at least one occasion. These people are doers, and these are the type of leaders that you want to be connected with and learn from. This whole thing started because I know that the fastest way to success was following others who have done what I'm looking to do first. 
We created Pass the Secret Sauce so that we could get our own business questions answered and that we could get access to the best minds in business. You see, entrepreneurs are my people, and I truly enjoy connecting with and learning from other successful business owners. And I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling this 99 Entrepreneur Strong, and it's a community of like-minded business owners just like you who want to learn from and connect with other business owners to create generational wealth together. 99 Entrepreneur Strong is a community of individuals just like you who want to strengthen their business, learn what techniques are generating revenue for other business owners, and perhaps even collaborating on future projects and products. The goal is to get your business growing so that you can begin creating generational wealth. As you probably know by now, we invest in large multifamily opportunities, and we want to help our network of entrepreneurs be able to do the same. Some of my best friends are business owners, and it's so much fun being able to create opportunities and grow together. With 99 Entrepreneurs Strong, you'll be able to network with people from all sections of industry, from investors looking to deploy capital to new opportunities, project managers looking for investors, marketing experts, contractors, mindset gurus, manufacturers, and so, so much more. I've been at this entrepreneur role for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one business work. And the 99 Entrepreneur Strong Community is my attempt to shorten your learning curve to get you plugged in to leading experts that you need fast. All this so that you can generate the capital to invest in other passive income opportunities, such as multifamily. Unlike other groups, 99 Entrepreneur Strong is a private organization that you have to apply for. Once you're approved in the group, we will match you with other entrepreneurs who we feel you will connect with. We hold monthly mastermind sessions where members will present their business story, what they need, and what they may be struggling with. And the group will offer suggestions, resources, or solve the business problems together. We also will hold other framework sessions throughout the month where other 99 Entrepreneur Strong members will present what they are currently doing in their own companies. Every session will be recorded and added to the library so you will have access to these resources whenever you need them. When you grow your business with scale, you can also impact other areas that are important to you. With the 99 Entrepreneur Strong Project, combined with our portfolio of multifamily assets and network of other entrepreneurs, our personal impact project is to eradicate the euthanasia of dogs. It's a lofty goal, but I know we can have huge impacts when we join together. So by applying to be a member of 99 Entrepreneur Strong, you'll learn how to make your business grow with tactical advice. You'll network and personally partner with other extremely successful individuals. You'll learn about other generational wealth building opportunities. And perhaps the biggest impact is that you'll help eradicate dog euthanasia. With that, I look forward to meeting you, learning from you, and helping you grow. To learn more, go to 99entrepreneurstrong.com. Period. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, man, my margins are thin, I can't really bring somebody on. Like what results are you getting your clients? You know, if you're, if your clients aren't getting a result that's worthy of what you're charging, you probably need to reevaluate what you're doing. But if your clients are out there and they're getting great results, I'm going to try and charge as much to the difference between working with me and not working with me as I possibly can without it getting weird. 
And so for, for an example, uh, one of my clients, um, we've increased their profit margin 400% over the last six months. And um, we took them from doing about 49, 50K a month in profit to over 200K a month in profit. Now, if I was charging 10 grand, is that a deal? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. If I was charging 100 grand, is that a deal? Yeah. Yeah. If I was charging a half a million dollars, however, it might have been difficult to sell on the front end, it's still a deal because they're going to make $1.9 million extra this year because of it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always looking and trying to be as close to the result as I possibly can without being disrespectful to them, in yeah. all honesty. So if I'm providing a $100,000 result, I might charge $60,000, $80,000, especially if that result's going to be in perpetuity. Yeah. So for the, the, the limiting factor, I call these glasses. There's something in your life preventing you from seeing the result or feeling worthy enough of actually charging more. And if you compare the result to what you're actually charging, that's going to tell you a lot. Yeah. I, I've, I've heard, I, I forget who it is, but someone said that, um, you know, if you're not uncomfortable, if you don't feel uneasy about presenting your invoice, your bill, you probably aren't charging enough, right? You, you yeah. need to feel that, that pressure and that, you know, shit, I wonder if they're going to, you know, him and haw about this, right? You know, but and you want but them to him and haw. Yeah, exactly. You especially, know? especially if they're getting the results, right? You know, I mean, if, if, you know, obviously, if it's not justified, then, you know, then there's a disconnect right. there. But, but if, you know, you can absolutely, like, like you said, they're making this much more. And, you know, it's all because of these, these steps, these processes that we put in place, you know, obviously, that's, that's completely justified. So, yeah. um, again, I think that that's something like you said, you know, we've got these lenses or this, you know, this, this, this personal worth that we have some kind of a blocker feeling that, you know, we, we, we can't charge, you know, that much for it or, um, you know, and, and I've seen entrepreneurs too, that, you know, they're all excited. I've doubled my prices and, and that's still not enough. Right. So, I mean, yeah. life was really bad back then. And, yeah. and, you know, they've, they've got to like sit and look and let's, you know, quadruple prices at this point. Right. And uh, you know, again, it's just such a big, big hurdle for them to, to jump over. One, one thing I want to add on to that real quick. I was actually reading a book called willpower doesn't work. And, you know, if, if willpower worked, everybody would be skinny, skinny and rich, fit and rich but it, clearly it doesn't. And one of the things that it refers to is you have to change your environment in order to get the result, right? We talk about all these things, people are biohacking and you have all the environment changes and you have all the, the, the essential oils diffusing everywhere. People are all about environment. But one thing that people don't look at is the financial environment of like, let's say your clients. And let's say that you're servicing a client and maybe you're having a hard time getting them results. It might be simply because you're not charging enough. In this book, Willpower Doesn't Work, he says the easiest way to change somebody's environment is to charge more than they're comfortably willing to spend. And when you do that, it holds them to a higher standard mentally and it makes them actually believe you more. Um, and so if you, if you show them like, uh, an analogy that I have is a Bugatti analogy and I'll move on from this. But like, if I pulled up to your house, Matt, in a brand new, I don't know, give me, give me your favorite car off the top of your head. Uh, uh, so we'll do Bugatti since you mentioned right. it. I'm not a huge so, car guy, but that works. Right. So, so we pull up in a you know multi-million dollar car to your driveway and I walk in your house, I'm like, Matt, listen, the, the pink slips in the glove box. I'm going to sell this to you for $10,000. Like, what's your first reaction? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Right. Here's the, the money. <laughs> second one's like, what's wrong with it? Yeah. You're yeah. going to give me a multi-million dollar car for 10 grand. Like it's stolen. It's broken. It's a fake. Something's wrong. It's off. I'm still going to buy it because it's only 10 grand, but like, it's still something's, something's off here. And it, you're, what you're actually doing with a low price point is you're putting objections in your prospect's head that probably weren't there. Mm -hmm. Like if I go buy a Versace bag 
or something for my wife. Like there's no question of quality. But if I go to like Walmart and buy her a bag, like it's going to fall apart in a week. So that's the thing is like, don't, don't price yourself so low where it actually creates objections in your, in your prospects either. Yeah. And how would you, how would you suggest people, um, you'll go about that. Like we, we just, we just, you know, mentioned a couple of, you know, call it elite brands, right. You've got Bugatti, you've got, uh, uh, um, I forget the purse brand that you just mentioned. Yeah, Versace, Gucci, Versace, yeah, whatever. Yeah. 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 So, so, you know, establishing yourself as that premium brand, you know, I, again, I'm assuming that most people that's, you know, their goal, they want to be, you know, they want to be the most expensive because, you know, again, they're, they're going to be able to not have as many clients, um, but still make more money because, you know, they don't have to make as many sales. Right. So, so any thoughts on establishing that, that, I guess that process to, you know, when you're, you know, let's just say you're a plumber, a local plumber, right? And you've got everybody else who's willing to come and snake a toilet for, you know, a hundred bucks, you know, you want to charge 200 bucks to snake that toilet. Any thoughts on establishing, you know, that, that premium feel or that, that, yeah. you know, that process to be able to establish yourself as, you know, we're not the cheapest, you know, don't call us if you're the cheapest, you know, looking for the cheapest service, mm -hmm. um, you know, but, but establishing that premium feel and that premium, you know, package service for yep. people. It comes down to the word feel, right? We talked about emotions, emotions and feelings are a lot of the reasons people buy. Um, and I love that you actually use this example because at one point in my career, I had a business partnership go south and I had to go and actually do some residential, like maintenance handyman work, just like mm -hmm. this snaking toilets and like cleaning. So I will, I will speak to this, like from first person experience in that, but it translates to every business. So think about the experience right now of hiring a plumber. Like I bet you right now, if you and I called the local plumbers, they're either not going to pick up their phone uh, or we're going to get some receptionists that can't really give us anything over the phone. They're going to send someone out. So from the get-go, the experience is just not great, right? And if I'm calling you, I typically have an emergency, right? And so, or, or whatever. But if I'm calling you, I need your help fairly quickly. So I don't get a hold of anybody for a day or two, or I got to call 40, 50 people. When the plumber gets to my house or the contractor gets to my house, let's think about the experience. I'm not being uh, judgmental here. Like I'm a contractor, I can say this. So when, when the plumber gets to your house, the contractor gets to your house, they're typically not very clean. Their truck is an absolute disaster. Um, you know, I was actually, my, my, my wife's grandma hired somebody to do some work in her house and I walk outside and the van is literally like, I can't see the dash. I can't see the passenger seat. This thing is a mess, okay? Walks in the house, probably doesn't put like booties on. He's probably in dirty clothes probably doesn't smell very good. It's like, all right, where's the toilet? And just kind of walks over and does his thing, snakes the toilet, probably leaves a little bit of a mess and leaves. The difference is experience for the, for the client. And so we can elevate the experience, right? Show up in nice, clean clothes and a nice, clean truck that's well put together, well organized, right? You know them by their first name. When they, when they you know, open the door, you put booties on your feet, you walk in the house and you have this white glove experience, right? You put floor protection down when you're working in the bathroom and you give them a better experience it does two things. One, it's going to prevent you from getting calls from the cheap people, first mm -hmm. off. Uh, but secondly, those people who enjoyed your service are going to call you back and over and over and over and over again. And when I did this in residential construction, what it turned out was, was I was able to build a multi six figure year business as a handyman for a short time, because I was only servicing the luxury homes and the higher end prospects because I was willing to give a higher end experience. Mm -hmm. And that's what people pay for. People are going to invest into any program, whether it's coaching people in business, teaching people how to get pregnant, 
coaching people through like, you know, relationship issues, how to invest. It doesn't matter. The experience that they have from the moment they work with you is going to be the reason that you can charge more in the future or give you the, the validity of like, man, I'm going all out for this client. And because I charge them what I charge them, I can go to what I refer to as like the gates of hell. Mm-hmm. You know, you paid me $40,000. I'm literally, if I have to clear my entire schedule over the next five months to service this one client to make sure they get results, is it worth it? At 40 grand, a lot of people starting out would probably say yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and I love that answer. And I, I completely, completely agree. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on, um, you know, that, that actual process of establishing what your pricing should be, right? You know, so, so like we we're using the plumber, are, are we calling, you know, other plumbers and saying, okay, they're charging a hundred bucks. I can, I can, you know, I want to double that, right? Mm-hmm. Is there, is there an internal process that you can go through to, I guess, you know, determine what your costs are? Uh, associated to, you know, going in and snaking that toilet uh, and then, you know, multiplying that by a certain amount or what are your, what are your thoughts on establishing, you know, again, what your prices should be? Cause you know, we, we used, you know, Versace, you know, they've, they've got, you know, a shirt for a thousand dollars. Right. So, you know, what makes their t-shirt any better than anybody else other than it has the Versace symbol on it? It's, you know, there's nothing there, but, but right. they've obviously established that, right. you know, as, as a desirable thing. So I, I guess, you know, again, any thoughts on, on, you know, establishing your price where, where it actually should be, or, yeah. you know, where it's, where it's worthwhile, worth your time, worth your effort to, to, you know, go down that path. Yeah. So I think the first, the first piece of this is like in a business to be healthy, what I'm learning is you should, you should be around between 65 and 70% margin as your target, right? And so, and that should be like without your, you giving your time for free to the business. Because if you're a solopreneur, your time is a position that you have to outsource. Mm-hmm. And that position needs to be accounted for inside of your margin. And so let's say the cost of fulfillment on something is $10,000. Over the course of 12 months, you work with me, cost me $10,000 to fulfill, right? But I need to also take into consideration, like, well, what's my overhead? What's my insurance? What's all the minimal software that I have to use? If I were to just service this one client, what do I have to have to operate the business? Let's just say after we've added all up, it's $10,000 to fulfill. Well, I want a 70% margin minimum, right? And so I need to be able to charge, you know, what is that? Six, six to 8,000 or 60 to $80,000 mm-hmm. just on a $10,000 fulfillment cost because my margin, my margin goal is 65%. Now you start reverse engineering that backwards, depending on what state you're in. If you're in California, like I was before I moved to Tennessee, I'm paying like 43, 43% in state and federal tax. So my 65% margin quickly went down to about 45, 50%, 40, 45%, right? Then I have, you know, I want to leave money in the business for the next six months. I want to have a six month buffer in case something were to go wrong. I walk out, get hit by a bus, something happens. I need money in the business to sustain the business. And so I need to be chipping into that fund every month. Let's say my business overhead is, is, I don't know, let's just throw out a number five grand. I need six, I need 30 grand in the business, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I can't give you all 30 grand out of this one deal because that would completely annihilate my margin. Let's say I give 10% of my margin to that. So from 45% to 35%, okay? And now I can actually take a draw from the business or decide to reinvest that money back into marketing, back into you know, leadership, back into sales. What most people do is they charge such a low margin, they're suffocating everything on the back end. They go to pay the IRS, they don't have the money, right? Yeah. 
They go to hire someone, they don't have the money. They go to try and get themselves out of business, they don't have the money. And so my goal, my, what I'm shooting for is a 65 to 70% margin. Now, where most people are at, especially in, when they're new into business, I would say charging what, like at the upper limit of what you're comfortable staying out of your mouth. Like if you are shaky, as you say it, don't charge that much, but I would charge as much as you're comfortable charging or as much as you're uncomfortable charging without throwing you over the edge. Mm -hmm. And then you're probably going to realize that that's still not enough. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, love that. Love that. Yeah. That's, and that's a perfect analogy. And I, uh, and I'm glad we went down that path because again, I think that that's something that most people don't understand is, yeah. you know, again, figuring out those, those uh, micro expenses, you know, and, and then just kind of extrapolating out the, the margins from there. So love that. Love that. Um, do you have anything, any other thoughts on what a lot of people seem to be struggling with? Um, mm -hmm. You know, what, what a lot of people are coming to you uh, trying to solve? Yeah. So I one-on-one -on -one primarily work with businesses that are 150 K a month and higher. Um, you know, we have our coaching program that we work with people that are 50 K a month and higher. Um, so it's different at both levels. I would say at the higher level, surprisingly, the number one thing that I deal with is focus. And at the 50 K month level is focus. Mm -hmm. So what I'm seeing across the board is people are not focused on the same thing, the same vehicle for a long enough time to actually make it worth it. Um, here's an example. I have a, a, a client, we're actually business partners. Now, when we first started working together, he had four different companies he was trying to grow and they were all like kind of okay. Right. But none of them were like home runs out of the park. The biggest thing that we did for him was literally shut down businesses or sell off the businesses so he could be focused in one arena. Mm -hmm. And what we, you know, Tony Robbins says, like, we underestimate what we can do in a year and overestimate what we can do in 10 or something like that. I think, I think you get it. Yeah. But like yep. the, the point of it is if you can stay in a vehicle that you know that vehicle is a vehicle that will get you to your goal. And this was the context. This was the reason I switched out of commercial construction into consulting was if I stayed in this vehicle and only this vehicle for the next 10 years, would I get to my goal and would I be happy? And the answer was no across the board for me in commercial construction. I would not get to my goal and I would not be happy. So I switched and I picked a different vehicle. And since I've picked the vehicle of consulting, it actually started as a marketing agency. Um, but as I've picked the vehicle of consulting, I've had a partnership go south. I lost everything again right? But I was able to turn around because the principles of focusing on one thing of like, I didn't quit. And like, all right, I'm going to go be a crypto investor. And then crypto fails. Like, all right, now I'm going to talk about yoga. And then that fails. I'm going to go, no, I, I'm an operations consultant. Mm -hmm. And I focus on this one thing. And I'm committed to focusing on this one thing for the next 10 years. And if it doesn't become successful, I did something wrong. So it's very difficult to stay in one arena, one avenue, one lane, one vehicle that's going to make you get you to your goal for 10 years, totally focused and not get there. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. Um, if, if people want to learn more from you, your, your products, your services, what would be the best way to reach out and get in touch? Um, you can find me on socials, um, seven figure Kyle, or just Kyle Livingston, depending on what platform. Um, but I think for like the listeners that are listening right now, all of the templates that we've built in all of these businesses we've ever done, we've actually compiled them into a toolbox. And so all of our sales templates and marketing templates and lead gen templates and all of our tracking for our dashboards and our data, everything we've ever built, we've actually just want to give it to your audience for free. Oh, wow. So they can go to fortifiedtoolbox.com, grab those, you know, grab those downloads. It's all free. There's, there's nothing there. Just opt in. 
And um, that's probably the best way. And it's everything we've used. I mean, we have businesses doing over a million dollars a month on these same templates. And we have businesses doing $100,000 a month on these same templates. And so if you're in a business right now and you need some structure, you need some infrastructure, that'd be the best place to get them. I love that. Yeah, that's, that is so, I'm huge on frameworks and huge on, you know, uh, adopting from other people, you know, what they've, what they've already created. So uh, that's, that's amazing that you're offering that to, to the, uh, to the listeners, to the audience. So really cool. Yeah. And that's one thing I love about your podcast is like, you're, you're, you're all about going in and digging out the, the failures and the stories and the problems. So other people don't have to, other people don't have to make those same mistakes. Exactly. And so I, I, I really respect you. And I just want to take a second, honor you for that, man. Cause most, you know, that's where all the lessons are learned. You know, you look at uh, Tony Robbins, I can see the book right there, the money master, the game. Yeah. And I mean, that book is full of wealth and all he did was what you're doing right now is just interviewing people at different levels and getting the stories. So thank you for taking the time out of your life and your business and your day to do this, man. Cause without no, you, I, be- I love it. I love it. I love connecting with people just like you that, you know, I I've learned some things today. I, I love that, that 12 sided dice thing or whatever that is. I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to look into that. And um, so, yeah, I've, I, I mean, I've, I've learned some gems here today too. So, and that's, you know, that's what this is all about. It's about sharing between different people and picking up, you know, different tips and, and t- techniques, you know, wherever you can. So I love it. No, thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.